Hello and welcome to Marketing Connected. I am your host, Janice Tan. Each week, we will speak with industry leaders on pertinent topics in the marketing and advertising scene across Southeast Asia remotely. Today's session features a fireside chat between Marketing Interactive's Regional Editor, Roswana Manjor, and CEO of VaynerMedia and Chairman of VaynerX, Gary Vaynerchuk. An investor and entrepreneur, Gary is certainly no stranger to the advertising world. During his live fireside chat at Marketing Interactive's recent Content360 conference, Gary tells us how brands can get their content marketing strategy right during these turbulent times, as well as the issue of content fatigue. I know we've got 30 minutes with you on the hot seat. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Okay, first thing first, Gary, tell us, what does marketing in the now really mean? Well, I think that for everybody who's watching, and thank you for being here, I think that there's a deep understanding in the subconscious, whether let alone the conscious, that a lot of big brands, especially in the Fortune 5000 across Southeast Asia and, and all over the world, are spending money on things that do well on reporting, do well on internal MMMs, do well in headlines in the you know internal industry magazines, do well at can right around this time, usually every year. Yeah but aren't necessarily driving the business. You know, the, I came from outside the ad world and I've been very surprised by how many people think that making a subjective call on a video and spending millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in putting that out to the world is a good idea. I think that marketing for the now means that you very much understand this. You understand the 10 to 15 social networks that dominate that. Obviously mainland China has a different set of apps, uh, line in Japan and other places find different path for a while in Indonesia. But globally, you've got the same major players and not understanding how to market on Facebook or Instagram, YouTube or TikTok, Twitter, or, you know, Spotify, LinkedIn, and then Weibo, WeChat or line, not understanding how to run media and creative there against 40 different cohorts instead of one producing hundreds of pieces of content a month instead of one and looking at business results, not likes, not impressions, and definitely not reports. I think that there's a huge opportunity for much better marketing, but most people have to rewrite the playbook of how a brand is built. It's not coming in yeah. the you know conference room anymore subjectively with Bain and McKinsey and one big million dollar idea. I think it's coming from the consumer centric notion of the consumer web. Yeah, I think also marketing in the now is like you said, rewriting the playbook where you don't take six months to create a huge campaign, which is outdated and you just go for it right now. What's happening? What's trending? How can my brand be part of that conversation? And these are some of the things that, I mean, you speak about quite a fair bit. It's important to know that that's not spray and pray and UGC and throw against the wall and what sticks. It's a much more complicated framework than that. It's understanding how many different constituents your brand has, cohorts, as we like to call them. They can be psychographic. They can be demographic. They can be financial-based. They can be business-based. They can be addressable by media capabilities. I think that a lot of people who are watching right now subconsciously or consciously disrespect social and digital. They don't think they can get the scale. We've fallen in love with this idea of scale. The problem is the delivery mechanisms for scale predominantly television or programmatic digital, most of that's not being consumed. And it's very expensive inventory and it's expensive distribution 
and it's always followed by very expensive creative. And I think we're very consumer tone deaf and we have to change that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're big on the volume game. You've always talked about creating, creating, creating. And sometime back, you released a post about 64 pieces content in a day, right? And you talk about repurposing TikTok content for Instagram and some other tips and hacks. But what would you say to brands who might be worried that they're creating so much content that it's creating a fatigue with their consumers? Their consumers aren't seeing the majority of their content. I'm not worried about fatigue. There's nobody's going to see all 64. Plus, when you're when you're putting out 64, you may put out some for Malaysia. You may put out some for high net worth individuals in Vietnam. You may put out something for 50 to 60 year olds in Hong Kong. Like you're contextualizing that content, and they're still not going to see a lot of it. When people are like Gary, they're fatigued. There's this wild disconnect between marketers, and this is broadly speaking, and the actual consumer. Meaning. If the brands that are watching this right now realized how few people ever consume their commercial for how much they pay, they would be on the ground devastated. And when they say to me, I don't want to fatigue my customer, I'm saying to them, you're making the assumption they're ever seeing it. You know, when I'm putting out 64 pieces of content a day for a brand, you know, my hope is that a customer that I'm targeting may see that once in that week. First of all, 64 is going to 30 different groups. So that's only two a day. And second of all, you know, this in the stream? I mean, are you kidding me? So I think there's a lot of audacity and misunderstanding. One of my favorite things that happened in COVID is a lot of marketers became better practitioners. They actually got a little bit deeper and got a little more educated. I don't think people understood the scale that these platforms have or the impact that it can have. And it's very difficult to do that when you get too senior. You're just not in the trenches anymore. You lose your pulse to the consumer. How do you keep your, your finger on the pulse? It's the reason I created Gary Vee. I'm producing content every day. I put out four pieces of content today. I put out four pieces of content today. The, fir- the first video that I put out today extremely resonated and already has 758,000 views. Ironically, this video was done when I was in Malaysia. An hour ago, I posted something out, two hours ago now, which is even better for my story. I put out something around changing your mind. I was very excited about it. Yeah. Only 62,000 views. It's going to wildly underperform by my standards. On a daily basis, I'm a practitioner and I'm learning consumer sentiment. Mm. I'm an anthropologist strategist by nature, but I use content to get me answers. And that's a very different model than most people approach it with. Tell us the truth, Gary. How big is your team helping you create all these tons of content out there? I have a 20-person team full-time. The reality is I probably only need six because a lot of them are secondary slash project managers slash strategists, but I'm building talent. One of my best people who's been with me for four years today, literally had literally today had a 30 minute meeting with me saying that he wants to go and be a project manager inside of VaynerMedia. So I need six to get this level. But I do 20 because I'm training people for the greater VaynerMedia good. On that point earlier, uh, we have a question that came in uh, from one of our speakers, actually, Akira Mitsumasu, who's with um, Japan Airlines. And he says, many people appear to be suffering from messaging fatigue with too much media consumption. How will that affect content marketing? Uh, Like anything else, uh, you know, I think the report, you know, it's funny and it's a great question. Thank you, sir. People, when they are asked in surveys, say that they're fatigued, but consumption numbers are through the roof. And so I think one of the reasons I don't love focus groups and polling 
is because people answer differently than their actions. And one of the reasons I like to put out content and read qualitative feedback is because those that's the truth of the market. So to his point, if there's fatigue, people will move on. Just like there was fatigued in direct mail because there was alternatives, like fatigue there is on television commercials. That's why it's declining. And I fully expect stream-based social networks to decline over the next decade. And then we'll be on to the next thing, whether it's voice or VR or something else. I also am not emotional about everything changing. To me, if every site that I market on today disappeared tomorrow, I would be invigorated to find where the attention is. I just follow attention. I think there's incredible things to be done with live activations. I think that the Olympics would have been a monster hit for the region, you know, or will be when we finally have it, you know? So I think there's a lot of ways to play it. I just follow attention, not, you know, I'm not worried that if social networks go away in 10 years, I had a great 25 year run. And uh, that's how I treat email and Google AdWords and television, direct mail and radio and outdoor media. I just follow the attention for the right price. I think the problem is a lot of people are overpaying for platforms that used to deliver bigger attention results. And you've got the Gary Vee video experience across YouTube, Facebook, IGTV, and then you've got your podcast, Gary Vee audio experience. I love that, by the way. Um, And then you talk about creating micro content on social that drives back awareness to your original long form content. Now, I mean, it goes without saying, creating content comes so naturally to you. But if someone is not a natural born content creator, what advice do you have for them in in their attempt to create, create, create? Um, Is there a burnout that content creators face? Of course. I think first you have to recognize how you communicate best. For a lot of people, they want to be video stars when they're meant to be great written individuals. So for example, I think that when people, a lot of times I always get worried when people look at me because when the camera goes on, I come alive and it works for me. But in the same token, I'm not a very good writer and all my written posts are just transcriptions from me on video. Meanwhile, somebody here might not be a great natural video producer or making images or a designer, but they're incredibly articulate when they write and they should be posting blog posts or long form written copy on these visual platforms. So I think it's about self-awareness of how you communicate, you know, and that's if you're building a personal brand. The good news is if you're running a business, you hire people to do the content for your logo, mm-hmm. whether it's an agency or whether it's internal. And so um, I think it's self-awareness or outsourcing depending on the circumstance. There's a question that came in from Alice. Um, Alice wants to know if one wants to kickstart content marketing with zero budget and zero manpower, how should she start this? good news is that's what I did for seven years. Zero money, zero manpower. And I did it myself. I chose Twitter because Twitter was a place where you could reply to people asking questions. And I think search.twitter is still a very prominent you know, platform uh, where you can search any word about your business and, and your industry and your interests. And you can jump into the conversation. It is a cocktail party. You know, notepad, you know, you can just notepad, make notes, take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram uh, back to, let's talk about, my team does make content, but my biggest performing single Instagram post, 319,000 likes. I made this in one second on Instagram. No team, wasn't complicated. So the reality is step one, no excuses. I did it for seven years. That's how I was able to eventually afford a team. Step two, um, lean in again back to the prior question. What are you good at? Can you take photos? Can you hire somebody for $10 to make designs? Because you can, 
Fiverr, five dollars. Southeast Asia is loaded with creative talent at extremely attractive costs. One of the reasons we opened our Singapore office was not only because we thought we could bring a ton of value to the Southeast Asian market, it was because I wanted to build a hub for incredible talent at prices that were attractive. I think the other question leading up to the uh, the one that we had earlier is that there are so many mediums right now, and if you've got zero budget, zero manpower, I know you talked about you know what are you good at, bank on that, but. If you're good at, say, for example, you've got a nice voice, you want to create podcasts, but the audience isn't there, but then it's on Instagram. How do you kind of, you know, find the middle ground between the two? You know, you got to make choices. Are you patient and letting the market come to you? Or are you going to be a 70% of your talent on a different platform to build awareness? Don't forget about your address book. You know, one of the things when people start out that I always like laugh at is they're like, I don't have anything. I don't have anybody. I'm like, you have this, you have all your addresses in your phone, right? All these wonderful addresses, you know, that you can look, you know, you can email and say, I've started a podcast. You have your email for the last 20 years, the far majority. You can email everybody and you can bulk email and get 5% of people, or you can send a one-on-one email to everybody and get 45%. It's just hard work, but but it's, it's definitely there to be done. And so I, I do think to your point, there's a balance between what am I good at or where is everybody? If you want to lean into what you're good at and there isn't anybody there, well, you've got to use things like money for ads. And if you don't have that, you've got to use your address book and your address book and you got to hustle. I mean, I had zero followers on Twitter. I, you know, I had five people watching my wine video in 2006. I've worked really hard for 15 years to build a platform. It takes time. What was it like when you first realized you were famous? It was surreal because Famous is a funny word, but I don't want to dodge it and say, oh, I'm not. Like, I, when you get stopped 25 times in an airport, you've got definite awareness. And, you know, if you want to de- deem it as fame, for me, it was really fun for a couple of reasons. One, I think a lot of people that end up becoming famous wanted to be famous. And for me, I never did anything, never thought about anything like that. I was a retailer. I was a businessman. And I grew up in an era where businessmen and women weren't famous no such thing. So for me, it started happening a little bit at 34 years old. It started happening a lot more in the last five years. So call it 39 years old. And it was, I was getting awareness for something that I thought was cool because I was bringing people value for free and information. So I was getting notoriety, not from being attractive or being a good sportsman or being funny. It was because I was actually bringing people value which I was really proud of. And so for me, I think of it as admiration more than fame. I like why people like me. It's usually because I'm giving away so much free information that's good and something good has happened for them. And um, and I also understand when I'm not liked because I'm very aggressive. You know, in a Q&A, I can be a little more toned, but on stage, people, the energy, I get very crazy. I get very New Jersey. <laughs> I curse, you know, and so I'm just very... Uh, empathetic and aware of the situation and it was very nice honestly you know it's a it's a little tough when you've got two little kids and you're trying to walk around and I work a lot so I don't get as much time with them as I want and there's always baggage that comes along with it but I'm always grateful I never there's never been a moment when somebody coming up to me has really actually upset me even with my kids even when I'm 15 hours in and taking a red eye I'm still so grateful. I'm just so humbled and and appreciative that people get value out of my work. 
And I think you're doing a great job at, at spreading positivity and inspiration. So thank you for that. Um, the next question comes in from Siva, uh, who's the marketing or uh, content chief at Prudential Singapore. He asks, the biggest mistake any brand can do in the new normal is, fill in the blanks. Exploit the situation for their financial interest without being compassionate. You know, I've seen some in the new normal, some brands really sell on fear around COVID or even limited resources. So, you know, for me, that's absolutely stood out. The only thing I think people can do wrong is exploit people when they're down, kicking them when they're down. And so I think a brand has to be very careful not to over um, exploit. That doesn't mean selling. If you're bringing something of value that isn't based on fear, that isn't based on limited resources that people desperately need, I think it's very fair to talk about what you bring to the table right now. People are looking for escapism. You know, they're listening to the news every day, have millions of people, this and that, you know. I think people are open and interested in many different stories. I just think exploitation is the one no-no. It's a very thin line. It's It gets blurred very easily. I mean, people are a lot more skeptical about marketing today or what brands say. I mean, even that amazing spot that Nike did recently, um, there are people talking about Nike's boardroom and um, if this is just uh, because they have such a strong black community that follows them and their athletes. So how do you safeguard against that backlash? By doing the right things. You know, if you're going to go and make a huge statement and you look around and there's no people of color on your team, you're going to need to expect that it's going to come at you. And so, you know, I think that's how. I also think that, you know, most people realize if you're going to go at anything, you're going to have a lot of opinions and judgment. And, you know, I think it all comes down to your appetite of how much pushback. Some organizations have no appetite. A little tweet or one post and they're like up in arms. Others have a little bit more of an appetite. So I think it matters based on who you are as an org. But the only way you can combat people coming back at you is either A, not get involved in anything that has any heat to it, any controversy, or B, make sure your house is in order before you go out there and start throwing stones. Another question from Sue Ann from Alliance. If a vaccine is found or the virus naturally dies off, do you think the business world would revert to the old ways or has the landscape changed forever? I think the landscape has changed forever. I would literally, literally fly to Singapore just for this conference. And by the way, I still may do that once every three years. But if I was invited back every year, I know that this can be done now. You know, uh, I mean, I know that people can be productive from home. I, there's a lot of day trips, especially in a region like Southeast Asia. I have a lot of empathy. A lot of you are flying from one co- Indonesia to Malaysia, Malaysia to, you know, Hong Kong. And, and the reality is you'll still need to do that. But all 10 times, I think the cat's out of the bag. The, the video conferencing technology is advanced enough. And I think that people are going to adjust. And I do think there is a new normal. We've been in this new world for too long. You know, I think habits form, you know, a lot of people like to throw around a lot of different numbers, whether it's two weeks or four weeks or three weeks or 90 days, it's been that long now. And so we're in it. And I think um, consumer behavior is, is changed permanently, but I don't think it's, I don't think people are not going to go to conference. Like I'm, I'm sure I'll be keynoting on stages. I'm sure I'll be flying to China or Poland or Buenos Aires for the day. 
It will happen. I just don't think as consistently. But do you miss that um, adrenaline of our yes. live? Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you're here with me right now. If I had to just do a straight keynote to the video, I need an, at least one other human being to do my thing. And so, <laughs> yes, I miss it a lot. Yeah, fair enough. This is our first time doing a virtual conference and trust us, we miss it as well. Given that you're building up such a strong uh, team with capabilities in advertising, e-commerce, do you have any plans to sell the business? Um, I don't. <laughs> I, um, I've had some pretty remarkable offers through the last five years. I, A, I could never work for anybody. So the thought of selling to an Omnicom or Publicis or Accenture, it's just not in the cards for me. Number two, I'm building this for myself. I have really big long-term dreams and I want to buy businesses and run them better than they were run before, similar to private equity, except unlike private equity that very much focuses on cost cutting and operational efficiencies, I want to create hyper growth in the business through advertising, which is my true talent, I believe. And and that's the reason I built VaynerMedia. That's the only reason it exists. And you know, selling it would defeat the purpose of the next 45 years of my ambition. Where do you get the inspiration for all your content pieces? You know, it's a lot of it, even up to this point, is still all my learnings as a child and through business. But inspiration comes from so many angles. Like it could come from absolutely anywhere. Um, you know, I listen a lot. You know, even these questions may inspire a piece of content. So I get inspired by people's curiosity. And... Uh, I also stay very narrow. You know, I, I talk about things I know. I can come on to something like this and answer questions so freely. We're not talking about healthcare or the, you know, the global warming or, you know, how fast race cars are. I stay in my lane, which makes me really tight and allows me to, uh, you know, I'm, I've done so many reps in business and communication now at this point that pattern recognition helps. Uh, I'm, I'm creative by nature, so it helps me say the same things in different ways. I never get tired of saying the same things because you never know when the person on the other side is just ready to hear it. So there's just a lot of nuances that go into it, but um, I would answer it and it's, you know, that was a very long answer. Here's the short answer, by listening. I read every comment that I get for every post and then I go watch what other people are engaging with and I read those comments. I'm, I'm an anthropologist. How do you handle the feeling that what you've done is not enough and where do you draw the mental line? You know, somebody was interviewing me and they said, you know what your superpower is? And I was all excited. I was like, what? <laughs> and this gentleman, Tom, said, you're very good at not judging yourself. Um, it was a really great question. I, I think it comes back to self-esteem, self-awareness, lack of insecurity, patience, humility, uh, all those ingredients. I am, I work really hard. I try very hard. And I always feel like I left it on the field. And if And if it didn't work out or... Or if one day I was under-motivated because my chemicals were off and I didn't feel like I left it in the field, tomorrow's a new day. I think it's very important for most of us not to overjudge ourselves. And I think in the alpha, and this is obviously generalizing, but in the alpha Southeast Asian culture, people are very good at judging themselves, unfortunately, because their parents judge them. It's a very, very cultural thing that I've observed in my many trips to the region. Similar to Russian, you know, I come from Eastern European, Russian, Soviet roots. But I think, I think you'll burn out if you overjudge yourself. I think pe people become anxious. And I'm very grateful for my lack of judgment on my own self. And I talk about it a lot and, and wish it on everybody. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. 
This podcast was created as part of Marketing Interactive's Content360 Virtual Conference. To learn more about our upcoming events, head over to www.marketing-interactive.com.